You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Tom Brady and the Patriots win Super Bowl 53 in a game of defensive gridlock and exactly one touchdown. Plus, Matt Nagy wins Coach of the Year. It's all coming at you, this and more, on this episode of Bear With Me. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Bear With Me, a generally Chicago Bears podcast focused tonight primarily on the Super Bowl, hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, courtesy of our Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. It's an exciting network where me and Lester Wiltfong try to bring you the best Bears podcasting content that we possibly can. And especially now that the offseason is officially underway, we're going to be doing what we can to bring you the best of the best, researched material, as well as anything else that we can give you to make sure that the long off season is manageable and we get to the 2019 Bears campaign as fast as we can. Once again, I'm Robert Schmitz, and if y'all don't mind, let's go ahead and get into reviewing the Super Bowl. So, first things first, I want to address the fact that a whole lot of people thought this football game was particularly boring, and I couldn't disagree more. I thought it was extremely exciting, I had a whole lot of fun watching it, because it seemed like a defensive battle to me, and especially as a Bear fan, I found that really, really fun to watch. Now, I don't know the White Sox history, I know the Cubs just won the World Series, and this is going to make sense in a little bit, but if you ask me, this game reminded me a lot about playoff baseball. So, I'm personally a Texas Ranger, meaning that we just lost the World Series in 2010 and 2011, but before that, the Rangers hadn't been to the playoffs since 1999. Now, I was born in 94. I know, I'm a young one, but that meant that I didn't know what playoff baseball was like. Baseball, to me, as I grew up, was a sport that I watched with my granddad, and we had a whole lot of fun watching it. But not a whole lot happened, generally speaking. And that's not a diss on the game. I mean, baseball is a sport in which one team, each team usually, throws about 150 pitches. About half of them are literally watched as they cross the plate. Another half are swung at and, you know, fouled off and stuff. And the occasional play, I know I've broken math already, but the occasional play gets hit into the field of play and fielded one way or another. So that means that there's a whole lot of baseball that's just not a lot happening, generally speaking, until you get to the playoffs, in which the team that you've followed for 162 long baseball games is suddenly four games away, which if you compile it, is about 600 pitches away from their season being over. And you know that these guys have worked their butts off to get there, so you're cheering for absolutely every single pitch to go their way. All 150 of their pitches for your guys to hit them. All 150 of your pitches for them not to hit them well. And you just end up on the edge of your seat 
watching. You're leaning in. You want to know what happens. Is it a ball? Is it a strike? Every curveball, every fastball, every sinker, the placement of everything, every swing of the bat, every batter that comes up to the batter's box, you're engrossed. You're just stuck in it almost. There's no way out, and it's fun. In my opinion, I thought playoff baseball was a game changer to me, and it forever changed the way that I was going to watch baseball. Now, why am I sitting here talking about playoff baseball? Well, funny you should ask. I would contend that this game, a defensive struggle dominated primarily by great defense and solid defensive schemes that had very few real offensive cracker plays, was much more like playoff baseball than it was the football that we've become accustomed to. This wasn't the 51-54 offensive fireworks show that we saw between the Chiefs and the Rams earlier this year. No, not even close. This wasn't the 6-15 defensive attack drubbing that we saw between the Bears and the Rams either. No, this was something much more in the middle. This was precision. This was strategy. This was coach against coach, each team having to deal with weakness, each team needing to make their defense be whatever it needed to be, and a real test of will as to who was going to come up the best. I mean, it wasn't the most exciting game. I'm not going to pretend it was the most exciting game. I thought the game last year against the Eagles was fantastic. That last second interception between the Seahawks and the Patriots, that was amazing. This wasn't one of those games, but especially for Chicago fans, I think we can all take a second to appreciate what a defensive battle looks like. This wasn't two offenses just screwing up up and down the field for what three hours this was two defenses that ultimately were making plays and causing the problems that we saw every time jared goff made a bad decision or a poor throw it was due to pressure either inside or outside that the pats were able to create dante hightower made huge plays all throughout the game whether big hits, he dropped an interception, crawled after a fumble, the dude was all over the field. The Rams' coverage was tight downfield all game long. Chris Hogan, in particular, got targeted a couple of times to no avail by Tom Brady, and Brady himself really wasn't all that great, which was interesting to see because if you ask me, had Brady been on tonight, the Patriots would have just steamrolled the Rams. I don't think there's any question about it because it looked to me like Jared Goff basically never got off the bus and forgot to show up for the game. That said, again, going back to defense for a little bit, I was really impressed with what the Patriots were able to do. They mimicked the Bears to a large degree, though without the just raw talent that the Bears possess. They threw a lot of looks at Jared Goff. They took away Todd Gurley to the best of their ability. That didn't stop Todd from breaking off a couple of nice runs, one 16-yard gainer in particular. But in general, Gurley and Anderson especially weren't able to control the game whatsoever. The ball ended up in Goff's hands, and Goff wasn't able to deliver. That, in my opinion, has been Goff's tail of the tape over his last three years. When it's all on him, I don't think he's there. I don't know what that means for his future. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think Jared Goff is a phenomenal thrower of the football that really struggles to play quarterback. I think quarterback is about a lot of things. It's about being able to read a defense. It's about being able to learn from a coverage when they do something crazy in the backfield. Make sure that you see it 
so that you know what to do when you see it the next time. It's about much, much more than just dropping back in the pocket and letting loose a howitzer into a perfectly placed open receiver's hands. It's about being able to deal with pressure, which Goff is awful at. It's about being able to both throw on the run and make the correct decision about when to throw on the run and when to just start running off to your right, stop, plant your feet, and get the ball down the field. The Rams ultimately weren't able to do enough. They didn't generate anything on offense, and three points sounds about right for them, especially when you consider that those three points came off of a 53-yard field goal. So, outside of the fact that this was a defensive battle, i got to give more credit to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Bill Belichick, who, in my opinion, is the best coach ever, I don't think that there's any question anymore. He's done this with too many teams and too many players, and the only real consistent person on any of these teams is Tom Brady, and we'll get to him. But at the moment, I just want to give credit for the fact that Bill Belichick continues to do what he's not supposed to do on a game-to-game-to-game-to-game-to-game basis. In this one, he needed to be able to control the ball with the run, and he did it. He and his Patriots team compiled a sterling 154 yards on the ground, 32 attempts, and that's 4.8 yards per rush. Of course, that got extrapolated late in the game, but early in the game on that first drive, they were rushing the ball great before Brady threw an interception that he shouldn't have thrown, but that's neither here nor there. Late in the game, with the Rams having, what, four minutes left on the clock and the Patriots looking to close the door, the Rams weren't able to do absolutely anything. As the Patriots ran the ball, I think it was like 70-ish yards all the way down the field in the last time they're supposed to. For crying out loud, this is a team with the Defensive Player of the Year, Aaron Donald, on it, and Nadama King Sue. They should be able to stop the run, especially runs up the middle, and they just couldn't do it tonight. That's credit, in my opinion, to Bill Belichick because he managed to make it happen. We've seen him do it too many times where he takes something that he shouldn't be able to do due to talent differences. The Patriots offensive line shouldn't have been able to stop Donald and Sue and the rest of that Rams defense and create these holes, but they did. They were also able to create pressure on Goff despite a fantastic Rams offensive line. How did he do it? He did it through stunts. He did it through trick defensive plays. He did it through as much trickery as he could also he got great performances out of absolutely every single one of his guys I got the impression that they must have scouted something they must have seen some weakness because it felt like every single play somebody was getting to Goff and that was making a huge impact Goff probably had four five maybe six clean throws in the pocket and he made them all count to his credit he didn't get flustered on a play-to-play-to-play basis but he would just let some plays totally implode miss guys by five yards he got Goff off his check downs Goff just seemed like he wasn't ready for the game and I don't think that should take away from what we think of Sean McVay if you ask me given the package that he's working with you have to blame one of them you have to say this is either Sean McVay's problem and he could have done better or you say this is Goff's problem and he could have done better of course they both share the blame to some degree but I personally thought that the large majority of this blame was on Goff a perfect example of this was as the Rams drove the ball back down with the intention to answer the Patriots drive Goff's interception was just 
awful. It was just awful. I understand that he had a man in his face, but he can roll out to his left, take a sack if you really feel it's that bad, but instead what he does is he falls onto his back foot and he lofts a ball high in the air that doesn't get in front of his receiver. It is as easy an interception as you're going to get in the Super Bowl to salt the game away. These kinds of plays just happened a lot. There was one point where I specifically remember Goff took a snap. He was uh, standing back two yards deep in the end zone, and he ended up getting wailed from his right-hand side before he got the ball out. But I remember the entire room. I was with a room about 15, 30 people. Everybody just held their breath, wondering if Goff was going to eat a safety there because he'd really given us that impression. I know that impressions only mean so much. A lot of you box score hunters out there really don't care about impressions as long as it's a complete or not but Goff looked shaky all game long he didn't look rattled per se he just looked bad which if you ask me is worse a lot of times but yeah credit to Bill Belichick for putting him in that place credit to Bill Belichick for making this plan work for coming out for attacking the run where he could he ran 32 rushing plays out of 68 total plays that is totally different than what Sean McVay did where he ran 18 rushing plays out of his 60 total plays Bill Belichick's commitment to continuing to maintain some degree of balance I believe is one of the big differences in why the Patriots were able to especially chew that clock out late in the game I don't know call it a feeling but I really thought Bill Belichick put on a master class of how to deal with what you've got and win a Super Bowl anyways because Brady did not look good tonight So let's talk about that. Brady's now won his sixth Super Bowl, which puts him at the obvious highest on the Super Bowl winning list with six. Next up is Joe Montana and somebody else. They've got four. So that means there's this two championship gap between anybody else and Brady. I think it's safe to say it's no fluke. This guy is the greatest quarterback ever. I think it's not an argument anymore. And this is somebody who was trying to make the argument that Brady wasn't the best years and years ago. Here's where I've landed. Feel free to disagree. This is my opinion. Tom Brady is the best ever. He's the best quarterback ever. He shows you what a quarterback is supposed to do. There are tons of guys out there that are more talented than Tom Brady. Jared Goff, to a degree, might even be more talented than Tom Brady in terms of throwing the ball, especially in Tom Brady's 41-year-old form. There have been plenty of guys throughout the NFL that could throw a football better, or they could contort their body and make a play, or they were running faster. You get the idea. Better athletes have played the position, but I don't think there has ever been a better quarterback than Tom Brady. And I think a lot of that has to do with the coaching that he received from Bill Belichick, but I don't think that Belichick's influence should necessarily take away from Brady's legacy. After all, Jordan's the best ever, and we don't use that as a detractor for Phil Jackson. We don't use Phil Jackson as a detractor for Michael Jordan. I don't see why we would do that with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, of course. So... I think Brady's the best ever. I think it kind of stops being a question nowadays because if this is Brady's last Super Bowl, uh, I didn't actually get a chance to watch the press conference, so I don't know what he did or didn't say. But if this is his last Super Bowl, if it's his last season, I thought he still played better than that year Peyton Manning like just trudged along with the Broncos and they beat the Panthers. I thought Brady made big plays where they counted. That throw to Gronkowski was absolutely vintage Tom Brady, given that they just pulled Aaron Donald off the field. It was the Patriots' chance to strike. He got the double cover matchup that he was looking for, which is kind of weird to say that you've got a double cover matchup but 
Brady was able to fit the ball right in to get the Patriots to the three-yard line, which kind of broke the seal because both teams hadn't really been able to cross the 25 yet. And suddenly, there the Patriots were on the two-yard line. They smash it in with Sony Michelle a play later to take the ultimately game-winning 10-3 lead. It was a real masterclass in quarterbacking as he did his best. I thought Julian Edelman was phenomenal all over the field. The perfect prototypical role player as he just caught everything that he could past a certain point you really got this impression not necessarily true but boy did you get the impression that Brady couldn't throw to anybody if they weren't Julian Edelman a throw to Gronk it'd be off target throw to Chris Hogan he wouldn't be open throw to anybody else I mean I guess nobody else was on the Patriots because you just didn't see him what you kept seeing was Edelman's open he got the ball Edelman's open he got the ball again Edelman's open 25 yards 18 yards 30 yards Five yards. I mean, everything. There was everything in this guy's performance. Racks up a ton of yards. I personally think he deserved the Super Bowl MVP award because he was the Patriots' only source of offense for about three quarters. Michelle deserves a lot of credit for finishing the game out, but it was Edelman that really kept the game alive, and I think Tom Brady pitched in a lot in that because, of course, you can't have a receiver without a quarterback. But yeah, I guess if I was going to give some final conclusions and kind of tie a bow on the NFL season through wrapping up the Super Bowl, I got the impression that this game would have been a blowout had Brady been more on his game. I thought the Patriots had the tools to compete on offense. They just kind of didn't. And that's a lot of credit to the Rams defense because Aaron Donald made some plays while he was neutralized for a whole lot of it. He did have, I remember he had one play really early in the game, kind of exemplified his effort where he got triple blocked, turned around and still managed to jump on and tackle the running back. I believe that was Rex Burkhead. Could totally be wrong on that. But he stopped him for about a three-yard gain. Donald did his best. Tlaib had some great coverage moments. The Rams' front seven did a great job stiffening up where they could and kind of denying the run and making the Patriots really work for it in those middle two quarters. But ultimately, I got the impression they were just on for too long by the end of the game. I know that time of possession can be a kind of dopey stat sometimes, but the Patriots did win it 33-10 to 26-50, and boy did it feel like it, especially in that first half. It felt like every time my wife looked up, she saw the Patriots still having the ball. This wasn't a football game for the casual fan. I understand all of you who think it was kind of boring, I loved it as a hardcore person, especially a lover of defense. I thought it was great. But for those of you who watch the game and then you turn and you talk to somebody for 15 minutes and then you look back up to see if anything's changed, this one wasn't going to be particularly thrilling because the score almost never moved. In fact, it was really kind of like a soccer game in that regard. Things didn't really change a lot. The teams went back and forth from about 130 to the other 30 and then they'd give the ball away one way or another and then they'd march on back. But I mean, hey, I loved it. It was great football, all things told. It just didn't have a whole bunch of results. And that, that stuff's the cherry on top to me. I'm not in it to necessarily watch the fireworks and the celebration. I love watching the football. I love watching each block. I love watching each pancake block. I know plenty of you guys do. Big hits, powering through tackles, throws, pretty throws, ugly throws, defensive tips, everything. The Rams did a great job defensively. It just wasn't enough. The Patriots defense absolutely swallowed the Rams offense. It wasn't close. They dominated. A perfect encapsulation of this to me was that the Rams 
finally were in field goal range at about the 25-yard line, convincingly in field goal range, ready to tie, score three to nothing. Jared Goff drops back and eats a sack for 11 yards. Thank heavens for them that Greg Zerloin had a 53-yard rocket shot go straight through the uprights because if they don't have a kicker that good, suddenly there you are, still losing, in the Super Bowl, with time ticking away, your best offensive drive having come to absolutely nothing. I think this was a masterclass by Bill Belichick. I said it before. I'll say it again now. I really think he coached his butt off and that he kind of reminded us that until he retires or until Brady retires, whichever comes first or both at the same time, you know, do us all a favor, guys. Uh, they are going to be, they, the Patriots, are going to be a force to behold. They're not going to go away. It doesn't matter how their regular season goes. They're ready when it comes to the playoffs and they're going to keep winning Super Bowls until somebody stays stands up and beats them. And nobody from the NFC was able to today. I really believe the Bears had a shot. But of course, I'm not blind to the fact that they would have had to actually beat the Eagles, bow up and beat a really good playoff team to have been there in the first place. And with the Super Bowl having concluded, we find ourselves knee-deep in the offseason. We've already been here as Bears fans, but it's official. The 2018-2019 season is over. The Patriots won it again, and now it's time for the Bears to climb their way up to that 2019-2020 glory. But with the offseason starting, we did get ourselves some nice NFL 2018-2019 honors. Namely, when it comes to the Bears, we had three that we were mentioned in. Now, I will skim past the first one because the Bears were mentioned in the moment of the year with Aaron Rodgers' comeback against the Bears in week one. We don't need to talk about this one much because it wasn't fun for any of us. It was a pretty cool moment, I'm sure, especially to the layman fan, especially given that Rodgers' implosion season hadn't happened yet. But wow, did that suck. And we don't need to talk about that one any more than we need to. The next two that we got were a little bit unusual because the Bears won both the AP Assistant Coach of the Year Bears defensive coordinator Vic Fangio, and the AP coach of the year, Chicago Bears Matt Nagy. Now, I find this a little bit unusual because I would tend to think that you would want one or the other. I thought that the Bears offense was fine. That's the way I would describe it this year. It was fine. It had its ups and it had its downs. For every Tampa Bay game that we had, we also had a Vikings and Rams game. So things went really horribly, or they went really great, or they went fairly average. It wasn't like high-class stuff, in my opinion. Meaning that if Nagy is going to win Coach of the Year... You're talking about him winning it because of what the defense did, because of what the Bears were able to do in the sheer win-loss total, which was primarily defensive success. So if that's the case, and he's getting this award because of the defensive success, why is Vic Fangio also getting assistant coach of the year? It seems tough to me to give both the award for the same thing, right? After all... I un I understand that teams are kind of like school group projects, but not everybody gets an 100 here. I mean, that's exactly why we have these two awards separated out, right? So that theoretically, if you just loved the Bears' defense, you'd give it to Fangio, and then you'd give head coach of the year to Reich or something like that, right? I don't know. It seems a little bit strange to me. Reminds me of how the NHL calls diving and tripping at the same time. You would think it's either a dive or it's a trip. 
Uh, I understand that you could end up with times where a trip is a very serious trip, but then the dive also happens. But I would personally think that the dive ought to override it because if they dove, they're selling the trip. And yeah, you could send them both, but I guess that discussion's getting a little bit off track. The point is, I would sort of think that the head coach has to win it over the assistant coach, and if the assistant coach is going to win it anyways, and they feel really strongly about that, that the head coach should go to somebody else, like the winner. But hey, I'm happy that two bears won it. I guess at this point, it's just one bear winning it in Matt Nagy, because Vic Fangio's already the coach of the Denver Broncos, so he's not really a bear anymore. We thank you, Vic, again for your time here with the Chicago Bears. I wish you the best in Denver, except for when you're playing us, and I certainly hope that Chuck Pagano is able to carry that banner. As I discussed in one of my other podcast episodes, I think he will. But either way, to circle back, congratulations, Matt Nagy, that your first season you were already able to secure AP Coach of the Year, not only in the eyes of the press, but also in the eyes of the NFL at large. Very exciting time to be a Chicago Bear. Very exciting moment and thing to have happen in your life. So seriously, congratulations to you. It's been so fun watching the way that you've rallied this team and changed the culture of the Chicago Bears and the culture, frankly, surrounding the city of how we view the Bears after this eight-year playoff drought has now been snapped in half. Super exciting stuff. Really happy for you. And folks, that's our show today. I know that I was a little scatterbrained, so if you're still listening, thank you so much for listening. I have to catch a flight in about five hours for a business trip that's going to keep me away from today, which is Sunday night, right after the Super Bowl, through Wednesday. So I'm tending to think that I'm just going to go ahead and shove off what was going to be a really meaty and data-heavy topic in how well does success carry over from year to year off to next week so that I can really do it justice. I hope this Super Bowl review was fun to listen to. If you like what I say, if you like what I'm thinking, feel free to hit me up at rschmitz28 on Twitter. That's rschmitz28. Me and, frankly, the rest of the Windy City Gridiron crew are all over Twitter pretty much all the time. I am amazed at how well these guys tweet, seriously. Uh, and so if you want more bear stuff all the time, feel free to hit us with a follow. Uh, as always, I'm so excited to be your host. I hope you enjoyed the show. Feel free to chime in on what you did and didn't like. And until next week, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Claude 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. 
Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.